It seems like Toast in the Classics is quickly building up a smoldering mini-suite of episodes on dystopian literature. This time, we're shining a flickering torchlight on 1953, a time when Americans feared nuclear holocaust and the fires of totalitarianism from both the left and right. Can you imagine living in a time like that? In Fahrenheit 451, Ray Bradbury stokes the flames of an ancient nerd paranoia that the mob is coming for your books. The novel is replete with metaphors of fire and flame, kind of like this intro. So our choice of drink was obvious. Our lawyers have told us that we can't recommend you do this at home, but we've got Amaretto, Everclear, Beer, and Open Flame to produce shots flaming Dr. Pepper. We'll do the performance drinking for you, so sit back and imagine early Cold War America. It's time for episode 24 of Toasting the Classics, Fahrenheit 451. Are we rolling? Is this episode 2-4 two, two now? 2-4. Two 2-4. Four. Two four, the big 24. So we're going to be covering the Kiefer Sutherland television classic, 24. Yes. No. That would not be... I've never seen that. That'd be terrible. Maybe that's good. Never seen it either. Okay. We're going to get a little risky today. Yeah, how so? The drink is going to be a little more risky. You've got a lot of stuff. Are you ready for it? No, not really. You've Are you got, ready for it? You've got a lot of, of equipment there. Uh, well, let me do the formal welcome. Welcome, everybody. To Toasting Classics, episode 24, I am Clint Lanier. I am Dave MacArthur. And this is the uh, podcast where we... Take we a classic. In mm -hmm. this case, read, read a classic. classic. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, we read something that people call a classic. Right. And we decide whether we agree. Agree. And whether it is actually going to continue being Because our opinion matters. By That's God. Right. My that mom right. said so. Uh, you, did she? Okay. Yeah. That's actually, good. she said it didn't matter at all. But anyway, so today we are going to be talking about the 19... 50-something or other. Mm -hmm. That's uh, right. Ray Bad, Brad... Ray Badberry. Brad That's Berry an even better classic. name. I like that. Fahrenheit 451, or 451 as I've heard some people call it. Do they ever discuss the, why it's called that in the book? He says one time that number is symbolic. Four, 451 that he has on his uniform yeah. is symbolic. But do they ever say... I think of the book cover or something. Isn't okay. it? Because I definitely say? was like... I had heard people like say at various points yeah. that... Um, what what it means? Right. Well, why don't you just say what it means? Uh, I think it's the temperature at which paper burns. Correct. Is that correct? Like, okay. Yeah. So that's what people had told Combusts, me over the years. Yeah. Combust. Yeah. So that's what people had told me over the years, and I just kind of you know took them at their word. But right. then as I was reading, I was like, I'd kind of like to have independent verification <laughs> from just what some dude told me in sure. high school. Um, so do you want to summarize the uh, the book for those who might not have read it? Yeah, sure. So this is my first time ever reading this book, actually. It's a, uh, I mean, I think it's just widely read in schools and stuff like that, mm -hmm. as is evidenced by the fact that when I went to go try to find it, mm -hmm. nobody in town had the book. Every place had the cliff notes of ah, the book. You could get it at Coas, you could get it at Barnes & Noble, sure. but you could not get the actual book. Yeah, so essentially it's a dystopic future. I think it's supposed to be the future. It's unclear that it's the future. It seems like the technology of the 1950s, nothing has changed technologically right. speaking. Well, no. I mean, he tries to – there's some things. Jet cars, for example. That's true. He does refer to it as fireproof, a jet car. Fireproof houses. Um, yeah. Things like that. But it almost, seems like, it almost seems like a parallel, like an alternate history. I think it's more like, like when people thought of – they thought of like the Jetsons. I mean, they were very yeah. – like they were very kind of like elementary in what they thought of as the future. You know, we're all wearing like Mylar suits, for example. And But he talks about, know. for instance, uh, the guy's teaching an English course. Mm -hmm. one, the one guy that he meets, he says he's teaching an English course on drama, everything from, yeah, but it was like from Shakespeare to Eugene O'Neill. 
Faber, you mean? Yeah, that Faber says he, te- he was teaching a class on everything up to Eugene, o- Eugene O'Neill. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so when would that be? That'd be like in the 20s, right? So if he was teaching O'Neill, yeah. he must have been teaching. Well, yeah, well, I think he was. He had, was supposed to be 40 years ago. But the author the author had to use people we knew. He couldn't, right. he couldn't talk about authors that we But I think if you do the math, about. it kind of works out to being like the, at, at, at most the near future, maybe the 60s or something right. like that from the 50s. I guess. But anyway. Yeah, maybe. So it's a very strange, hard to nail down. Well, wait, hold on. Let's back up a little bit because okay. the way to figure this out is all of the professors got fired about 40 years right. before. So if they got fired in like the 50s. So that would be like the 90s or 2000s is what we're looking at. Could be. Could yeah, be. Like yeah, that. depending on how you look at it, right? He might have been teaching up to you, Neil, but in the fifth, oh, Neil, but up in the 50s. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little hard to figure out. It's kind of like 1984. Yeah. It's hard to figure what, well, I was going to say it's hard to figure <laughs> what year it is. That's not really? 100% true, but it's hard to figure where, I guess what I mean is it's hard to figure where this history, like yeah, it's hard to sure. figure out what the, what the split is. Uh, essentially, the, uh, it's kind of like, what was the last thing we read where I said plot was not like the big part of the book? It's very similar in this. It's kind of like it's a guy who works as a fireman, which mm-hmm. is somebody whose job, because of the invention of fireproof houses, the job has become destroying books, right? keeping people from reading books. Um, and he works as a fireman, but he, just, he meets a girl who sort of tips him off to the idea that maybe that world is not everything that it's cracked up to be. And he sort right. of has like a American beauty style awakening, uh, awakening mm-hmm. yeah, that, that leads him to see the world differently. And gets mixed up in almost sort of like a resistance movement, mm-hmm. runs away, gets chased by the firemen and by dogs and by police, helicopter yeah. drones. I think like they're like helicopter cameras. I was like, mm-hmm. that's a drone. That's like yeah. that's pretty, seems like it, that's yeah. pretty prescient. Right. You know, you're doing a pretty good job there, Mr. Bradbury. But runs off and kind of joins the resistance. I think in a way, I don't really know how much it's supposed to be that they're actually like an effective resistance of any kind. But they're sort of trying to preserve the books. Right. At the end of it. That's the plot. Well, because uh, they could use the books when when what happens at the end happens. Spoiler alert. Uh-huh. Which is the you know, a war. You know, oh, and, yeah, sure. The atomic atomic sure, war, sure. the impending atomic war, which everybody was kind of obsessed with in the 50s. Yeah, well. Yeah. Um and and Good it reason. levels everything and so now they can give up the books. Now they have a reason to use the books because right. it'll teach them. It's kind of like what happens at the end of the time machine, the movie. Yeah, exactly. The the that's future. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so exactly it teaches right. everybody again. It's very similar. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, had you read this before? No, my first time. Oh, okay. Yeah, my first well, time. Well, that's kind of cool. And I think we can both agree that people consider this a classic. I think so, yeah. This is absolutely. appropriate to our format because <clears throat> this is widely considered a classic, and I right. think it's something I'd never read for some reason. Uh, probably a lot of people is in the same boat thinking they should have read this but hadn't yeah. read it. Uh, and it's a it's a breezy read. It's not a long it's book. It's like 60,000 like, words, yeah, 60, 200 pages. Words, whatever that is, about yeah. 200 pages, yeah. yeah. I ended up listening to it. Mm. I could not get it anywhere in town, mm-hmm. and I didn't have enough time to wait for Amazon to send it to me, and I hate reading on my Kindle. So I actually got it uh, from my childhood library back in Fairfax. I still have a card there, and they okay. do uh, audible books. Oh, wow. They do audio books. Okay. So I got that for free and listened to it on that. And uh, I thought it was pretty ironic, actually. That you were listening to it? part of the book is like people don't read anymore. And yeah. They just listen to things. And here I am listening with my little seashells. Yeah, through seashells, book, right. So it's kind yeah. of, what, are, what are your thoughts? What are, you th- what are your thoughts about the movie? About the book. Is there a movie? That's a good question. I think there was. Yeah, I think There's they adapted it. There's got to be a movie. It. I don't think it would be much um, fun. I don't think that'd be a very fun movie to watch. Let's see. There's a 1984 movie also. Yeah. And that one's not a lot of fun. I think, I think. It's interesting that you picked this book. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it either. 
I did um, not intend for it to be topical in any way. Oh my God. It ends up being kind of topical. <laughs> this is, yeah. Please read this book. I mean, yes. Please, yes. please read this book. In the time that we're living in, Ray Bradbury with thinking, the cancel culture, the political correctness. Not even, not even just that, though, but Ray Bradbury thinking that the pace of technology mm-hmm. overwhelming our literacy yeah. was a problem in right. the 1950s. Well, and our, his my head would be spinning. Our attention today. span. Yes, exactly. Because in, in, in his future, right. Uh, people don't read books anymore because they only have about a 15-second attention span. They like right. bright lights and loud noises and, and eye candy. Every you know, time. So they don't, they don't want to yeah. read, right? I mean, are we not living in that? My, my children can't, can't watch. They cannot watch. Like a feature film. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or, or like yeah. What, what we used to have was a 30-minute you know, television show, right? right? It's hard for them to sit for a 30-minute television show. I have had a uh, – I think we've talked about this before, but I have – you know, what ends up being kind of tough to enforce kind of a draconian policy about like video games yeah. and internet access. Mm-hmm. And so I have noticed my kids can watch things mm-hmm. and, and like read a book mm-hmm. in a way that I, th- I think a lot of kids have a problem with. Yeah. But I end up feeling like a really mean guy because every other kid is playing Fortnite all the time right. and stuff. And I'm like, no, I just don't think that's healthy. Yeah. I know I grew up playing video games. I don't actually hate the video games, but... It's it's a it's a question of attention span, but it's also a question of like dopamine hits from the yeah. little rewards you get when you beat something in a game, and stuff right. like that constantly. And I just don't think it's healthy. Well, you're probably right. So, I, th- I think absolutely uh, you're right. But um, yeah, so you know, I, I think it's it's completely topical for today. It really is, man. And we sort of talked about this when we talked about Spartacus. You know, the uh, the cancel. Well, it is cancel culture, but not only not just cancel culture, but the censorship. You yeah. know, the, the, yeah, the definitely. censorship that we're yeah. kind of living through, we're seeing today. And so he wrote this as a response to McCarthyism, which, again, kind of like Spartacus, right? Which is funny because it comes back mm. around, right? So you've got McCarthyism was total right wing, you know, like uber right. conservative. And we've, we've argued, yeah, we've you argued that. You know, and, hor- horseshoe theory? Mm. Oh, yeah, where they come back around. Yeah, it's yeah, like the idea that yeah. when you get extreme enough, you just wrap back around yeah. and you might right. as well hang out with each other. Right. You know? Like it doesn't really matter if you're Stalin or you're Hitler. Yeah. You're doing the same stuff to people. You're so absolutely right. The underlying they, po- political they philosophy doesn't pretty really much did the same thing. Right. Yeah. So he, this is a response to, you know, to those policies, but that response today would probably get them canceled or get them kicked off of YouTube or Facebook or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, really odd. Um, but yeah, he was afraid of book burning. He was afraid of censorship because at the time, you know, in the fifties, they were censoring all kinds of books. They were, you know, they were banning books from, you know, from the library and from schools and you weren't allowed to read them. And yeah, that's uh, true. You know, For all sorts of different reasons though. Yeah. A lot of I it remember was looking at sex the list and communism. Of, Those are probably two of the things. But right also there. things on the left and later, yeah. a little bit later, but there were also things on the left and you'd see these lists of books that were, that were banned. And as an outsider, as just like a open-minded person who reads books, you know, I'd, I'd look at it. I couldn't figure out what the reasoning was. Or things like the Giving Tree, yeah, that was banned. And I just, what are they? And it was because it was a woman continually giving of herself to a man, and that was the wrong lesson to say. Right, right. You know, anti-feminist message to send. I was like, that's a stretch, right. you know, to read that into that book. But it, you know, Huckleberry Finn being banned because yep. of the use of the word of the N word, you know, right. stuff, which you know actually. I could see that being uncomfortable in the classroom, especially mm-hmm. with young kids. I think college kids could probably grow up sure. and just handle it. Sure. But um, so you know, I I could see that being an issue at some point in uh, people's lives. But I don't know. There's just things banned all over, and it's the same kind of thing. It's right. Whoever's in power has certain things that they want to ban. It doesn't matter where they come. Apparently from. Apparently so. Yeah. 
I was listening to an Economist article today about uh, just the threats to liberalism. Mm -hmm. And by liberalism, I mean like classical liberalism, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, like what the Economist espouses. Like, um, and they're from the left and the right. Mm -hmm. And the threats to on the right are sort of like the creeping authoritarianism of like the Trump type people, you know, and like no rule of law and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. on the left, it's the banning of, you know, people thinking freely and stuff like yeah. that. Just, 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 but both sides are like eating away at like yeah. the foundations of like a liberal democracy. Right. Uh, it's just the kind of upsetting stuff, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gloomy stuff. I don't really know what this, this is. A, well, this I is honestly heavy, think that the majority, book. I think the majority of people don't like that stuff. Right. I think they, they, they don't like those threats to democracy. I don't know what the majority of people think. When I tell people my policy about video games and stuff with my kids, I get a lot of pushback. Nobody seems to agree with me. And well, I, I, he, I think but, it's strange. I think I feel like more people. Well, have you heard the, the recent Chinese policy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that support the, the state should not be involved in that th at that, all. That was my that point. No so, business so, of the so state. That's yeah. my point is, is China, <clears throat> they control the networks there. Right. So they've shut down video game networks. Right. During the school week. So kids cannot play video games during the school week right. and they're limited to three hours a day during the weekends. Yep. That's it. Yep. And not past like eight o'clock at night. I and, think that's, and, a, and that's you a, could, probably a healthy policy. Hold on. You could say that that's what you're doing. But yeah. the, the, the point is. But this, I'm a traditional Confucian this, head of household. But I can yeah. Tell the state that, should know. not have control over what goes on in your no, house. Of course not. I mean, no, know, Ameri how, no American would ever put up how, with How you raise I your, mean, your children, right? Actually, that's, I take that back. Some Americans would probably go for that. Most Americans, I think we can though. agree that, that we don't want the government doing stuff like Completely. that. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's healthy. I mean, I think you're making healthy, good decisions, but you're the one that should be able to make them. Sure. You know? Sure. And uh, and, and it comes down to, to books. You know, the firemen are the people that, that say what we're allowed to do. That's you a know? good question. Who does say it? Is it the firemen or is there some? There, Seems we're to left, be. We're left in the dark about who's in charge. Well, it, presumably there's some government. I, th I think they're on a government mandate, right? So that's their job. There's some Orwellian Big yeah. Brother government in charge. Yeah. So these could almost job. be the same worlds if you think about yeah, it. They really could, yeah. Because there's the constant that. war going yeah. on in 1984. Right. I was thinking about that. They're very similar. I, when was 1984 written? 48. Okay, so probably an inspiration on this yeah, one. I'm I think. Sure, yeah, I'm sure. I'm mean, sure. It must was, have been. Yeah. It must have been this kind of uh, dystopia, post-war dystopia, Cold yeah. War dystopia. This is pretty much what people are thinking about. Probably so. You know, um, he he was so Bradbury was living in a little bit more of a nuclear threat than mm -hmm. Orwell had realized in in forty eight. Forty eight, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Do they talk about nukes specifically in this? I mean, they're talking about yeah, no, they talk about the cities getting like he's far enough out. They never use that word, but but they but talk they're about, talking about what being happens. far enough out that they don't and they're not going to get burned. Yeah. when the war comes. Well, so. that it that it completely levels the city. Yeah. That, you know, the bombs uh -huh. totally level everything. So it's unclear whether they're nuclear. And it's global. Yeah. Like, because yeah. he's talking about, okay, that happened here. And at the same time, there are, bom there are bombers on the other side of the world doing the same thing to those cities. Right. And it's the idea that he talks about what the rest of the world is like. It's the idea. And I think, I don't think we see it this way quite so much anymore. But the idea was certainly then that uh, the United States lived a life that was so different than what other people were living in the rest it, of the world. It kind of says the that. The material yeah. wealth in the United States in the 40s mm, and 50s right. was above what Europe could do. Yeah. Obviously, the Soviet Union, every place else was in yeah. devastation still from the war, but also just economic systems that were making people poor. Right. The third world was incredibly more poor than it is today. But it, it was our it was our excess and our but That was what was going to kill us in the end and they, make them yeah, hate us. That's which, right. Which, I mean, I think there's an argument. That's, that's what got us into trouble because it, it, it made us become kind of lazy. It made us become... 
complacent yeah. right. and Well, there's an and, argument and that September 11th, you know? in, to a large extent, happened because of how people felt about what we're doing over here, yeah. the material prosperity and the threats to traditional morality and stuff like that. It's different, but it's that's a pretty localized view yeah. of the West. Sure. I think for this, for this day and age, I mm-hmm. think for the most part, everybody's living this decadent lifestyle yeah. all over the world in the 21st century. It's interesting for him to see it back in, in, in the 50s, though, for mm-hmm. him to recognize that, that yeah. America's wealth and so forth is going to be kind of the, one of the causes of our downfall. You well, know, there the was all that, like, moral panic about how teenagers were behaving and stuff like that in yeah. the 50s and 60s, and it's just like, I don't, we don't view the world that way today. Part of that is because everybody's inside playing video games. Yeah. So we're not really worried about packs of teenagers, you know. Well, we sort of talked about that in uh, Catcher in the Rye. I mean, that was... Mm-hmm. That's when teenage, the invention teenager the was, was yeah. invented, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the idea of it, right. And That's he had true. this kind of like luxury of downtime, so to speak. You know, they weren't out working at 16 years old. They were just enjoying or going off to prep school and stuff like that and mm-hmm. being kind of delinquents, you know. Yeah, yeah just like packs of kids and being influenced by all this crazy uh, rock and roll yeah. stuff like that, you know. And it was still like that when we were kids, except we were being influenced by rap, you know, so right. we were all going to kill each other. Right. And then all of a sudden it changed in the 21st century. People do not talk about teenagers like they used to. Yeah. They talk about sort of the moral collapse of our civilization, decadence. <laughs> right. It's not because of teenagers. It's just in general, you know, yeah. uh, it's just sort of a generalized uh, word. Uh, Jimmy Carter used uh, malaise. Oh, general yeah. malaise. There's yeah. a feeling of malaise. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was a terrible Jimmy Carter. Yeah, it was unrecognizable. Yeah. <laughs> if we hadn't just let in with Jimmy Carter, I don't think anybody would have been clued in. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Did you well, catch the Did you catch the reference to cold November rain? No, I didn't. He said something about you know, like uh, you know, went outside in the cold November rain. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't I catch that. If, uh, I'll go back and you know, this is the second episode in, in a row where I've referenced Guns N' Roses. I'm not even that big of a fan, but uh, he didn't say anything about Welcome to the Jungle. No, Clarice today. No, I don't no. believe so. Um, so we're gonna be doing a little performance art. On Toasting the Classics this are week. We? Uh, unfortunately, we are not a video medium, but uh, what I've got... I can give a play-by-play. You can give a play-by-play? All right, why don't you do that? Because I'm going to go off mic okay. to do my mixology. Okay, okay. Uh, what I'm going to do, so, I'm going to I'm going to shut down your mic real quick, just so people aren't okay. hearing it. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, what he has got is a bottle of Everclear, a bottle of Amaretto, two bottles of beer, two pints, and two shot glasses. So I think he is going to make, oh, he's going to make a bomb. Yeah, he hasn't told me what, what, what exactly it is yet. Pouring the amaretto into the shot glass, pulling it, uh, pouring it uh, let's say, three quarters of the way full. And I'm assuming he's going to put an Everclear floater on top of that. And uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? Pouring the beard. And he's got a couple of Guinness blondes, it looks like, with a Merlin straight. That's odd. <laughs> we are going to do a bomb, which is just fantastic. Uh, considering the book ends with a with a big bomb. There we go. I think I've got a, uh, an idea of what I'm about to do here, so I can sort of narrate my magic trick. Sure. As I go, pouring beer into these two sh- these two uh, glasses. I've got some um, glasses. glasses from the Bulldog Bar in New Orleans. I don't know if you ever went there, but ah, every Tuesday, or maybe it was Wednesday. It's been so long, I can't remember. But they would give pint glasses. You get to keep your pint glass with every oh, beer you had, and they would let patrons design these glasses. Yeah. So one of the glasses I had which has been lost to history due to a breaking incident, but they had a list of things and it was somebody had written up a list of top 10 things that are crazy about New Orleans. Uh One of them was, if the levee breaks, we will all die. No one seems to be worried about this. And this is pre-Katrina. This is in 2003. So people were aware that that was was like a year before Katrina. Oh, I filled that too much. You're going to have to drink some beer. Sorry. 
Yeah. I'll put too much beer into these. I forgot there was going to be an, I, f- I forgot Eureka. An, an insert? I, f- I forgot the, uh, you know, displacement <laughs> the principle of Archimedes here. Okay. All right. So I'll take that one. You take that one? Yeah. A little less, less beer? A little less beer. All right. So we'll have a little sip of this uh, Baltimore Blonde. I'm going to get it down to about, what, three quarters? Yeah, that's a good beer. It's warmed up a little bit while we've been in the studio. But yeah, mm. it's a pretty tasty beer. Doesn't t- it's not like a Guinness at all, to, to my taste. No. Okay. So next thing that needs to happen is that... I need to top off the three quarters of an ounce of amaretto God, this, this with go, just a splash of. South. What do we got? What do we got here? What do you know? What do you about? Know, what do you know about this bad boy? Well, it's 190 proof, which means it's it's uh, 85 percent alcohol by volume. That's how my math works out. Yeah, this is pure grain alcohol. Mm-hmm. So this is what uh, the lieutenant colonel in uh, Doctor No would have drank. I need to put a little bit more. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Put even more in there. I've never had a good experience with Everclear. Yeah, me neither. It was either Bacardi 151 or Everclear that somebody put into some drinks once when I was in college. Uh-huh. It was just a debacle. Ugh. Just an utter debacle. Yeah. Okay. So right. now comes the now comes the performance aspect. Okay. I'm getting out one of these doohickeys that you get, the the long-handled Bic lighter that yes. actually just has a regular Bic lighter hidden in the handle. <laughs> right. Have you ever seen the inside? Right. You're going to – I'm going to set these. I'm going to – there's going to be some fire. Yes. And then we're going to drop them yes. into our glass, and you're meant to shoot it. Yes. Okay. okay. As long as. And it is on fire. The flame is not yeah. as dramatic you as I just, hoped well, for. Well, you can just barely see it. But it is burning. It is blue. So I take this. Cheers. No, we're not going to cheers. Okay. Oh, shit. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, brother. Whew. Okay. Okay. Oh, boy. So. <laughs> Why did you do that to me? <laughs> <laughs> because this whole book is chock full of phoenix, salamander, things on fire, black hair, soot. <laughs> Every single metaphor is yeah. about fire. So it yeah. just dawned on me, this is what we got to do. So what did that taste like to you? Um, well, Coca-Cola at the end, right? Uh, Coca-Cola. What? This is called a flaming Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Okay. Because it tastes like Dr. Pepper once you set it, it on it, fire. It sort of does. It yeah. sort of sort does. does. This one didn't taste as much like it as I recall. There was a bar called the Gold Mine in New Orleans. Flaming Dr. Pepper. Oh, Lord. Where we used to have flaming Dr. Peppers. Maximum of one. Yeah. It's not something you're going to be drinking no. for a long time. All right. So I used up a completely invisible portion of this giant bottle of Everclear, which was the smallest bottle of Everclear Let's just available. do shots now. Cal- yeah, right, sure. <laughs> I will actually have some dis- uh, some of this if we've got some ice. Yeah, you know, um, we do have some ice. I'll get those glasses back out. Hold or on. we could use the pint glasses if you want. Either way. Yeah, the, those are better glasses, but they have the cream, cream the cacao right. or something. Used to go down to this bar called the Gold Mine, have Flaming Dr. Pepper shot, shots, and then they still had the old... Star Wars stand-up video game oh, wow, yeah. from the eight yeah. from the 1980 or 79 like or whatever the, it was. The frame, the, the yeah, frame, which was an awesome game for the time. Like the 3D graphics and stuff yeah. were really amazing. There we go. We're not going to be sipping the flaming Dr. Peppers for the rest of the night. That's a one-time only kind of thing Thank for God. guys in their 40s. I don't yeah. think we're going to be doing a bunch of those. Did you say 40s? Yeah. Well, you'll be in your 40s. Uh, when's your birthday? In 2028. What? When's your birthday? I can't even remember. It's okay. So long from yeah. now. So anyway, you'll be so far away. You'll be forty. So we're t- I'm oh, talking geez. that way already. So I hope you enjoyed that. That's a fond memory from my childhood or youth <laughs> when I lived in New Orleans. Used to have those a lot. So what what do you think about uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, writing? I don't like his writing. I don't like his writing at all. Either. I don't like his writing at all. I like the ideas he's talking about. He inc- he uses similes more than anybody any other writer I've ever seen. So I mean, just 
I read um, a collection of his short stories called The Illustrated Man last summer. Actually, when I was in Alaska, it was what I brought with me. Mm -hmm. And every single book is like interesting ideas, right? Like something you could talk about. But it's like the prose, everybody's so flat. You know, the characters, I wouldn't say they don't have any interiority, but it's just like Ray Bradbury thinking is their interiority. It's just like what he thinks about the world and stuff. And it's, it's you know, it's cool. I like his attitudes about things and his ideas, but... Yeah, the, the prose is flat. The world seems overly 1950s, like like the like well, his, he, wife, he can't, he his can't, wife in this book. He can't describe anything no. without yeah. similes and metaphors. Yeah. And he, he can't – well, I mean, I like the way Hemingway writes. Very simple, you know, very, sure. very stripped out. It's kind of like raw emotion, right? I think that's fair. This was anything but. Sorry about all this sh- sloshing ice, right. but I'm having trouble getting – like – Melted, then froze together yeah, again yeah, into no like worries. a mass inside. The, there nice. we go. All right. Now we can pour some amaretto, which is Di Sirono. I like amaretto. It's good. Good stuff. You like drinking amaretto? Yeah, it's good stuff. It's almond liqueur, right? So gauche of me to pour it for myself first. Oh, it's going to be like a melange of a bunch of gross stuff. There's a little <laughs> bit of melted water in there and a little bit of uh, creme de cacao that yeah. lining the glass he from the previous said, episode. Melange. I'm going to top myself off. I a said melange. More. Yeah, what was the what was the word I kept saying? Oof. I kept using the word oof, oof during the episode <laughs> about to catch a thief. So sometimes you give me a drink, I turn into a giant douche. <laughs> yeah, we talked about the metaphors. I mean, that's like a big part of it. Do you know what the metaphor of the salamander? You, everybody knows the phoenix thing, right? But the salamander, you know that one? It was a fire salamander. It was one that that supposedly like would would explode and catch on fire, right? No, it could go through fire. Go through fire. They okay. thought that salamanders because they All had right. the slimy skin that they could survive in fire. I don't know. You know, it's like the, right. the things medieval people thought about animals right. could have been solved with, like, just a little bit of actually looking at right. the animal. Like, pretty easy to test. So the salamander, by the way, uh, and we should explain things as we're going. So sure. the salamander yeah, was absolutely. essentially the uh, fire truck. It was filled with kerosene. Right. And, uh, and, and they, would, they would drive that uh, wherever they were going to. So the way they would, they would burn these books is they would – somebody uh, would report their neighbors. It was always a neighbor that would report – Typical. Somebody that had had books, right? Typical. Because books were banned, all books were banned, and uh, so the firemen would come in. They they you know crash through the uh, the front door. They'd spray the books with kerosene, and then they would light them on fire. And sometimes the people would choose to stay with their books and be burned along right. with them, right? Because they were they were odd people. They were losers, according to you right. know, their their oddities. You know, I don't know if it's like a fear. You said it was written as a response to McCarthyism. That may be true. I actually didn't get too much about the background of the book. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just kind of a general fear that intellectuals have that, like, it's like Philistinism is going to, like, take over the world. That, like, everybody will be like, ah, reading books, that's for nerds, you know. And it's like, I think we all still kind of have that fear a little bit. I think it's a good fear, especially with today. It is kind of. I mean, but also I kind of think, like, being a nerd is a lot less... It's more popular today. Like you hear people really just embrace. I, I don't. I remember well, when I was a kid. It's, it's more popular if you're saying the right thing. Well, it's In, always more popular when you say the right thing. Intellectual sure. discussions are reduced to 280 characters. Well, now, yeah, that's you terrible. know, yeah, and and terrible. you can't have an intellectual discussion. When was the last time you tried to have a discussion on Twitter or Facebook with I somebody stopped. that disagreed with? I stopped. Why? I stopped because, because it's, it's useless. completely useless. Pointless, and right? Do you know what I think is the reason why it's useless? I don't think it's necessarily. I think if you I think if you really dedicated yourself to the art form of Twitter, to the 280-character tweet, and I mean, you can break those rules today anyway. You can write something longer with you know, sure. subsequent tweets. But 
I think if everybody dedicated themselves to doing it, we could communicate in short blurbs and we could have an interesting conversation. But I think that the problem with talking on social media about controversial topics and getting into discussions of politics and stuff like that has less to do with the limitations of the medium than it does with the fact. So I used to watch reality shows. I don't really watch them, but I'm aware of their, that reality shows exist. And you always watch them. You're like, why are people fighting so much? Yeah. I, I hang out with people. I don't get into fights like this all the yeah. time. And it's because somebody's watching them. Uh, when my wife and I started oh, it's performance. dating. When it's performative. My, it's per, oh. Well, it's not just, not just performative. When my wife and I started dating, we realized if we were around people and we had a controversy between each other, it could blow up into a fight. Whereas if we were just the two of us, we could handle it. Yeah. And it's because you get your back up because people are watching you. You don't want to make little concessions to the other person. You don't want to lose face. Lose face. Yeah. You don't want to make like a little bit, huh. try to understand okay. them, like bend a little bit. Oh, hmm. I see your point. That's actually a good point, what you said. But I still think this, you know, like there's no give and take. Yeah. It's just boom, boom, boom. We have to have our point. I think that's the problem with people on social media because they're being watched by thousands of people and they feel like they've got to try to win the conversation. I don't know. You know? I, I mean, I yes, think, yes, it's intellectually limiting to I only think, be able to say. I think it is. I think so much of it has to do with anonymity. Well, that's you part know, of and, it. Yeah, and, that's and, true. And that's a, true. a disconnect from, from... But don't from, you get in fights on Facebook with people you know? I, I stopped. I used to. No, I used to. I, I don't do it anymore. I did it once. Like I, I, put, do it about I, I put myself out there once and... Some people, you know, jumped on me and I just said, that's it. I'm not, and this was like 10 or 12 years ago. You learned a lot faster than I did. You know, I, I just, and I don't comment on anybody's, but I want to so badly. Yeah. I look at it and I'm yeah. like, oh, you're a complete yeah, idiot. No, you can't do it. Yeah. But you just can't do it. And, and, and the reason and, you can't and, do it is it's because it's as if they stood up in front of a crowd of a thousand people and said a thing. Yeah. And then you say, no, actually it's this. They're going to eat. They're going to go after you. They're going right. to go for the jugular right. because you just embarrassed them in front of all those people. Right. I realized that at some point I was like, People don't post something political on Facebook as an invitation to a discussion. Right. I kind of do. They I'm weird, they I'm weird do, like they that. They almost like do it as a confirmation like to – Yeah, a little bit. To, to ensure that I'm – really, I mean, we do live in echo chambers. You know, I mean, most people, their Facebook friends do, yeah. reflect Sadly. their political beliefs and stuff like that, right? I think, and, I've, I think I've said this before on the pod, but I am oftentimes the most liberal person mm-hmm. – that some of my friends know, yeah. and I'm definitely the most conservative person that some of my friends <laughs> right, know because they just right. don't talk to people who are sure, different than them sure, at all. Yeah. I've had people just cut me off yeah. for being, and I, I mean, I think I'm being objective when I say straight down the middle. Uh-huh. I mean, in terms of my politics, I sometimes veer to one right. direction or the other, but pretty much straight down mm-hmm. the middle. And if somebody's offended by me, they need to get out more. Mm-hmm. You know, like right. I'm a pretty reasonable person. I'm listening to everybody. Like if somebody on one side makes a good point, mm-hmm. it's like we said last time or a couple episodes ago, not on a team. Yeah. You know, I don't give a D-A-M-N who yeah. wins in these little games that they're playing I think with you each say other. that word. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's in the Bible. We spell bad words in my house <laughs> with my kids. Bu- so. It's in the Bible, crying out loud. Well, it was pretty much created by the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have <laughs> that word point. without the Bible. But I thought yeah. Milton created it. Anyway, this is a lot of what Bradbury's dealing with well in advance. I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of, I mean, I envy Bradbury's, like the, the intellectual time that he's writing this in. Okay. Because take your back, yourself back. I want to say this is like 56. So take your back. I don't know why I didn't ever write that down. But I don't know why I didn't either. But I didn't do my background research. I read the book with very big attention to detail. I, my I background did, research is spotty on this book. I did, like, so. I, like you know, I wrote I wrote stupid stuff down that I don't really need. But 
Oh, come on. Steph- tell me. Tell me. One Steph- of the stupid things you wrote Steph- down. Tell well, me. just like the characters' names. I, I know all of those. Montag, Betty, Faber. Uh, you knew those? Yeah, I remember You're, like, all like, familiar those. with the characters? Uh, no, fine. I remember all of those. But oh, I you remember, remember them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, but what I'm saying is I don't remember when it was written. But I'm just going to say 56, sake of argument. I think that's a, pr- that's a ballpark right now. So 1956, you have things like the New York Post. You know, you have uh, the New Yorker. And these are like these are distributed. We still have them. We still have them, but they the subscriptions are, you know, nationwide. Yeah. Okay. Not limited to. If you could have told Ray Bradbury how the newspapers died, right? Like how you know you got you got you've got a New York Times weekend edition that probably weighs a pound and a half, mm -hmm. if not more. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's two hundred and fifty pages, right? Um, You've got real commentary. You you don't have because at the time you don't have like. Like a presidential debate. Uh, the first televised one was JFK versus um, Nixon. Nixon, what, uh, in 59? I think it's the 60 election. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, 59. Yeah. So if he wrote this in 56, presidential debates were like a moving thing. They would go from town to town, debate. or They, it would they be were a, also substantive. Or they were, they'd be know? a th- theatrical release, right? right? You'd see them like in the theater or something like that. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. And they're, and they're, I, was, I was literally thinking that. Nixon v. Kennedy would have been the first time people saw the candidates. He talks about like, oh, that's so weird because he's not he's not talking about Nixon v. They, Kennedy. They did, but he describes it in exactly the way yeah. that the debate versus Nixon and Kennedy. Yeah. it must have been written after that debate. N- no, it wasn't. It must have been. No, you yeah, know what? Yeah. I when, think when, it might have been a vice presidential debate. Mildred and her friends. I think talk about how the good-looking president. Oh, that other guy can never that be president. So did strange. you see what he looks like? Yeah. That's 100% the way Well, people, he was just talking about— The other about, guy looked all small. But, but like, he was just talking about not, the superficiality. Not he, was, Nixon, he was talking about the superficiality. Mm-hmm. Of, I was thinking that. I was literally you know, thinking of the Nixon versus Kennedy. So, debate. I mean, that's prophetic. And now I'm trying to remember when that actually happened. All right. I'm sorry, everybody. I have to, yeah, okay. Well, we can, we can talk while we look things up. Fill a bus for to. me, okay? Yeah, I'll fill a bus. So, I really think that uh, Carthage should be destroyed. I think, that, <laughs> I think that this third Punic War, the sooner it comes, the better. Um, <laughs> You're still stuck on the servile war. <laughs> <laughs> the third survivor. I know I screwed that up so bad. It's one of my greatest, uh, one of my greatest shames. Great, greatest embarrassments. So there's, I mean, there's just a host of dystopic fiction that this book reminds me of. And I, I guess we're saying that uh, 84 comes first. 1953. 1953. So Even way earlier. before. There's no yeah. TV debates in 1953. No TV debates. I mean, he, yeah. that was prophetic. So he's like, because yeah, that's exactly prophetic. what happened to Nixon. Uh, yeah. Nixon's ugly. Yep. You know, JFK yep. is nice and tanned. Yeah. It's to the point where I thought he was talking Nixon, about that. Nixon was sick during during that debate. Do you know that? No, I didn't He had know. a fever. No. Like he had the like flu or something. And so he 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 was like all sweaty and everything. But that's because he was like literally sick. I swear to God, it sounded like he was talking about oh, it. Oh, man. You know, exactly. JFK was all tall yeah. and good looking and yep. Nixon's all yep. shriveled and small and gross. Yeah. But well, so, here's, so here's a flip side of that conversation. Well, let me, hold on. Hold on. Before we get to that, all let right. me just say that I, I envy the time he lived in, even in 53 – Despite McCarthyism, at least he lived in a time when people debated. You know, although although McCarthy cut off debate, that was one of the things about it is he right. would not listen to debate until I can't remember who it was, but who's, who finally called him out and said, "Have you no sense of decency?" Who was that? Google yeah, me right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> tell everybody I'm googling it. I was going to try to make it sound like I'm super smart and I remembered it. <laughs> Joseph Welch. Joseph Welch. And who, what was he? What was his? American lawyer and actor who served as the chief counsel for the United States Army while it was under investigation for communist okay. activities. Okay. The United States Army was under investigation for communist activities. Yeah, and their lawyer called him out. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So well done, well done. God so, bless the lawyers. <laughs> you know, those of you who say bad things about us, you, where Some would you of them. be? Where I, would you there be? There are a couple of lawyers us? I know right now that I would, 
In any case. The yeah. adversarial nature of the American lawyer system is what keeps us all honest. Is that what it is? Yes. That's right. it. The okay. bulwark of the rule of law. In any case. But I, I, I do envy a time when – Bulwark, when, I say. Uh, well, I, I call bulwark on that, <laughs> sir. That's but, a uh, lot of bulwark. <laughs> but you've got a time when people would write – you know, their, their op-ed pieces would be 2,000 words. Sure. 3,000 words. In response to a, a previous 3,000 words, if, if I read somebody's opinion on the internet and mm-hmm. doesn't have a bunch of spelling errors, I'm like, oh, this guy must be a genius. Well, now, nowadays they, they, they debate with memes, yeah. which are complete. Yeah. You know, I would like to someday, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I've, thought, I've thought really hard about this, about doing like a YouTube show uh-huh. that just shows these stupid memes that people, especially the political memes, obviously, that right. people put up on both sides. And all I do is explain because. This is what I do for a living. I'm a, I'm a rhetorician. Oh, yeah. Explain why this is stupid. This is the, 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 this is the problem with this argument. Yeah. You know, and, and why this is dumb and why this person is dumb. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah that's the, good. The, 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 prob- like that. the problem is I would probably be sus- suspect and canceled even in my job if you hit for doing that. Left the pro- and right. It doesn't matter, okay. though. It doesn't matter. Then I get both sides coming at me. Yeah. You know, I, I, did, I, I did learn that um, a while back. I used to write – I was uh, – has to write editorials just because of what I do and stuff for a local paper. And so uh-huh. I did. And so I would hit like the city council and the mayor and everything on everything that they did. I didn't care who they were. In our little town here, our mayor and city council are, they do not run under a party. So they run just as themselves. Okay. But I would, like that. I would get hate mail from both sides. And I mean like weird hate mail to my job. And I'd get them from both sides saying that I'm a communist or saying that I'm alt-right or something like that. And it, and it dawned on me that, that, that doing something like that today, like writing this op-ed, kind of like writing a post on Facebook, you are not changing minds. All you're doing is strengthening positions on both sides. Yeah. You're getting the other side to dig in yeah. against you, and you're getting your own side to, Batter, to cheer you. Battering someone into submission in a conversation yeah. about something um, can be an effective rhetorical device. Could be. To win, yeah. right? To win the, you know, like let's say there were 30 people sitting here watching Win the debate, but you don't, if you don't change minds. And I just minds, browbeat you. Yeah, then what But then matter? people, I think, are surprised. Like, I think a lot of people on the left were surprised. All these people went out and voted for Trump. Yeah. And it's like, well, you beat them into submission. Yes, right. you're smarter than they are. You know, you're more, you're more articulate than they are. But you didn't change their minds but you by, also, by talking about how you dumb also they are. mobilized them by pissing them off. Well, yeah, you know? that too. But they they couldn't believe that people's minds hadn't been changed. Yeah. It's like you don't change somebody's mind right. by insulting them, yeah, and you, exactly. you might shut them up. You might win if you if you see what I mean. You right. might win in the in the eyes right. of other people watching you. But that person's mind didn't just get right. changed. I don't know how to change people's minds, by the way. I, I do not <laughs> profess to knowing that secret magical art because. You know, I mean, I could talk to somebody who doesn't want to vaccinate their kids all day. Yeah. I would never convince them. There's nothing you can right. do. I think maybe you well, can I nudge think, somebody. I think there are certain there are certain debates that you can't really debate. I think things like uh, abortion, uh, belief in God. You know, there are certain things that, that you just can't. Climate change. So I've debated. Uh, I wouldn't man, say man-made d- climate change, I should say. So things it depends like on what that. you mean by debate. Um, in terms of having a like an intelligent dialectical discussion about mm-hmm. someone's belief in God, I've had conversations with people who were believers. I don't know where I stand on that spectrum, but I've had conversations with people who are believers, and as long as they were willing to talk to me, I felt like we were having a, a fruitful discussion. You know, well, I'm I, not because I'm not trying to. I, I don't have a position. I'm trying to dissuade them. I wasn't saying debate. I was saying change their mind because that's kind of where you started from. I don't well, know but what, where mind. I'm coming to with this is I think I can. 
and this is would only be possible if it's a if it's a belief that could be shaken in some way. If it can't be, then it's then it's that's a, sort of what I'm not saying. Just, not just because of their feelings, but because they actually think they're right. Mm-hmm. I think you can nudge somebody, even in a very if if there's if you put a spectrum from zero percent to one hundred percent, and this person is like eighty percent, they believe in God. Mm-hmm. You talk to them, maybe you can nudge them to seventy nine. By really being open minded and talking to them, hearing them out, mm-hmm. what are their reasons? You know. I think sometimes people are aware that they're having trouble responding to some of your criticisms and things like that, and it does make them think a little bit more, you know. Maybe which so. Maybe, maybe does. So. Maybe which maybe doesn't dig them out of their position. I don't. I, I think maybe they're. I think that's a really. You know, that's actually a really a really good point. Like in my case, there are certain things that you can't talk me out of, like my belief in God, for example. Right. But if you stump me, you'll you, think. I will go and research. Right. And I'll and right. I'll look it up. Chances are, I will find the answer to to whatever it was that'll satisfy me. And you know me, I'm not one of those people that would come back and say, oh, by the way, no, blah, blah, uh, blah. I mean, some you people know. are just useless to talk to because of their personality. Sure. But some people you can talk to if they're listening to you. You're right. If, I, if I'm talking, I mean, I've talked to people who had very firm positions on things and it made me go research. Yeah. They're so firm. Like I had a buddy growing up who was a creationist. Mm-hmm. And we had so many conversations about it. He was so firm about it that I was like, I got to, <laughs> why do I, why do I think that this is not right? You know what? I'll, I'll look into it. Is radiocarbon dated really that wrong? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just nothing that the people said was particularly persuasive at the end of the day, but I was just kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll look at my, at my ideas again. Like it's, yeah. you want, oh, you want some more? Yeah, of course. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. <sighs> How's that Dr. Pepper treating you? Feel okay? Yeah. You feel okay? All right. I was at this party this weekend, and an older surgeon colleague of my wife was feeling his oats for some reason. Really? Had a beer, like, you know, slamming competition with another guy. Oh, jeez. And I was looking at him, I was like, you know, I haven't actually slammed a beer in about 10 years. And so we, I was like, he was like, here, take a beer. And so we had like a, oh, like a chug off. And I was like, wow. What did you use? Did you shotgun him? Did you, uh, we did actually originally picked up, I, I got a Corona. Okay. And I got it, and I picked it up, and I was Ugh. looking at it. I was like, this is a seven-ounce Corona. This is not. <laughs> so I went back to the well and got myself a. Uh, oh, so you you didn't cheat? I don't remember Good what it you. was. No, I didn't cheat. But it was yeah. really obvious as yeah. soon as I picked it up. It, you know, I looked, <laughs> it was like a like a hobbit. Wait, no, other way around. Other way around. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, what's yeah. bigger than a hobbit? Are there creatures that are bigger than hobbits? Well, it could be a troll. Like an ogre. Look like an, a troll yeah, okay, holding yeah, a yeah. Yeah, regular sized Corona. So I did recently chug a beer. Is all I'm saying. So this is not my first beer chugging. Did we get off topic at some point? Well, we're talking about the drinks that we're drinking. Oh, okay. But yes, we got off topic <laughs> on the 1957, 56, whatever it was, whatever novel. 53. Fahrenheit 451. 53. 53, uh, 53. Is what is uh, 451 in Celsius? When this goes to Europe, do you know it's actually called Celsius 227? Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it's that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, people just get confused. Yeah. They look at the book. They're like, what the heck is Fahrenheit? <laughs> Let's throw it down. So you know who uh, the – have you heard of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl? The concept of the man yes. who picks dream girl. Yes, what is that? So it's like Natalie Portman's character in Garden State, Zach Braff's movie. Did you ever see this? No. It's actually a pretty good little movie, but yeah. she's like comes into his life and changes everything because she's so wild and crazy, but she's also very pretty and like, You're going you know, to they get together. Yeah. yeah, this is what Clarice is. She's yeah. like the early version of the manic pixie yeah. dream girl. And then she just disappears. Yeah, she dies. I guess she's killed, right? She's I guess the over, fireman yeah. got her? Or no, she's run over. She's run over by the jet cars? Yeah, she's okay. run over by a jet car doing okay. 70 miles an hour. Somebody, oh, you know. my God, 70 miles per hour. It's pretty fast. Can you imagine yeah, a ground vehicle that could go 70 miles per hour? Well, they went up to 100. Yeah, yeah. 100. I mean, 100, that's just yeah. – I actually think the human blood boils at that speed. Every so. time I, I read her name, 
I was saying it like uh, Clarice. Hannibal Lecter. I, I really can, you, can you still hear the lambs, Clarice? <laughs> that there, word, go, that go name is done. I had an Aunt Clarice uh, born in like 1918 or whatever, and uh, they don't name people that anymore. And then Mildred. That? You know what, what Mildred. I... Mildred. So, oh. Okay, so... Woof. Did you... Okay, if you picture characters, the, mm-hmm. the, the character I pictured for Mildred was... Did you ever see uh, The Green Mile? No. With Tom Hanks? No, the Tom I Hanks movie? I never oh actually saw it. You should watch that. It's a fantastic okay. movie. Um, anyway, the the warden's wife is crazy. She's got some kind of sickness, and she's a famous actress. I mean, she's been like a character actress um, or actor. I, I just can't think of what else she's been in. But uh, that's who I pictured for for Mildred because she's like she's sick in the in the movie The Green Mile, so she's got super pale skin. Okay, you know, and she's like super skinny, like bone skinny. Bonnie and, Hunt. Yes. Okay. Bonnie Hunt, I think so. Yeah, try try to find a picture of her in the Green Mile, okay. um, and you'll you'll kind of see what I, what I'm getting at. Uh, she's blonde and like super pale skin and super skinny, and she's also completely crazy. Well, she's, she's usually crazy and things. She's kind of like a character actor. Yeah, for well, yeah, yeah. She sort is of neurotic because she was yeah. like in Jumanji, is what I remember her from. Yeah, uh, she was kind of like the neurotic. No, that's like, not Bonnie Bonnie Hunt. Then yeah, it's Bonnie Hunt. Well, I know but she, the the actress is different. Okay, that's Tom Hanks. I'm saying the warden's wife, not Tom Hanks's wife. Oh, in the movie. Okay. The warden's wife, who is also another famous character. Uh, I know you're too. Patricia, Patricia Clarkson. There you go. Yes, she's famous. She's in a lot of stuff. She's still in things. She was but in. She look, was recently in something I watched. She's a really good, really good kind of kind of like a character actor, yeah. but not as much as Bonnie Hunt. Bonnie Hunt's. But more. that's that's who I pictured for. I was going reason. with uh, like Ethel from I Love Lucy, or um, mm. or uh, the wife from. Well, I saw her, I saw her as like uh, all in the family. You know what's funny is I saw oh, yeah. her as kind of the product of Mother's Little Helper. Sure, you know? it's just TV that's taking the Mother's pi- Little Helper. For well, no, she's also taking taking pills, sleeping right, pills yeah. all the time, and so sure, her. He talks about her skin being all drawn back. You didn't do the episode with me about um, Blade, uh, the Blade Runner book, uh, no. Do Androids Dream of Electric? But did you listen to it? No, that, that was a, that was a summer Clint. Right. If you that ever was... watched, if you ever watched uh, Seinfeld, summer no. camp Clint. Oh, oh no, that was a summer what, camp George. I get it. I get it. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that. But yeah, no, that was the episode with Jay. But it was uh, the wife in that one is very similar, very much so. And the book is after. So it's like you can almost see 1984 goes mm. into this one, which goes into Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So, yeah. uh, similar, I mean, there's like a nuclear war, like all the same. Yeah, a lot of, of the shit. same stuff. The yeah. TV, the thing where they're all mesmerized by the TV right. is very much in this one. Right. So they're similar. I was actually, did you ever read The Handmaid's Tale? No. So that, that reminded me of that too. Very similar yeah. book. They never really get into how the world got so screwed yeah. up. Like, where, what's the source of why did things change so much? It seems to be more policy than people. Right. Right? Well, and that's the, that might be the important I mean, people part. People make policy. Yeah, but people go along with policy. And right. People think that policy is a good idea, right? And so, yeah. you know, it's a good idea to, like, you know, to censor books and all this other stuff. And, and Do you think there's an idea? So, so for, I mean, like, the people that do it just change. Faceless, for, for society you know, to change. So, oh, I know what my answer to that. I'm, I'm answering my own question. Huh. Asked and answered. So for the for society to change, like you said, there's got to be people that make the policy. Yeah. So who does this society benefit? Who are the people that are like in charge of this society who are hoodwinking everybody else? And I think the answer is the captain. When he's talking about books, he knows all his books. Oh, Betty. Obviously, he's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's read all of them. Obviously, yeah. he's read all these right. books. 
So I think he's part of the elite class that's right. still allowed to read the books and is controlling everybody else yeah. with all this dictatorial. Now, see, see, I wondered about that because it's it's odd. Like, how do you how do you read the book without getting affected by them? That's the whole point. Like, even one of Mildred's friends, when he reads that poem, she breaks down in tears and starts crying. Right. Right. And the other one gets all you know hysterical. I knew this would happen. Blah blah blah. I think so I mean, there's like there's an effect that these things right. have. And that's what they want to tamper down, right? They want to make sure that people aren't sad or whatever. So they, they, that's why they burn the books. I so think there's Betty, always been an idea that controversial books don't harm the elites. That the elites, because they're in control of everything and they have all the mm -hmm. power, they can read these controversial books and they're just like, yeah, yeah. okay, but I'm the one okay. that, yes, yes, you're pointing or, out all these things about my society, but I don't care. Unless they are like fanatical Unless they're zealots, that's the word. Right. Unless they're zealots, because. But did Beatty strike you as being a zealot? Yes. He struck me as being complicit, and well, I content think, to just. I think, not but I think care. that I think that he had to have been. I mean, because you think about the people that carried through, like the final solution, mm -hmm. you know, that knew what was happening. Right. They had to believe so firmly in the motherland. The father, whatever the hell they called it, and I the remember. Third Reich, and, and and the Final Solution, and everything else, they had to believe in it. I remember so hearing much an anecdote as to be zealots. I remember hearing an anecdote about Himmler going to a concentration camp and looking through the window while people were being gassed, mm -hmm. and literally having to walk away after like sixty seconds and just being like, I, I don't ever want to see this again. And yet continuing to be the zealot who's creating. But these see, policies. I don't, I don't know because the guys that are there, the guys that pull the. They're, they don't. They don't care. Well, that's the they're difference. Not, they're not no, no, no. That's political. The, that's the they're difference. They're just murderers. Though. They're just the same Himmler, guys. But that see, murder, Himmler you know? wasn't a zealot. Himmler was an architect. He, Himmler created the zealots. Himmler and Goring. But he and, must have been a true believer, and, is what I'm saying. I don't know. I think the guys that were actually out there, the guy that actually points a gun and shoots a child, right? You know, or the guy that actually puts someone in the gas mm -hmm. chamber, is just a guy doing his job. It's it's the uh, the banality of evil, right? Well, I mean, there's that the there's that of evil. It's like, it's like there's that uh, you know, it's kind of a meme now, but the uh, useful idiot thing, right? You know, right? I mean, uh, the Maoists, for example, Mao knew what he was doing politically. Right. The Maoists reacted to their belief in him, right, and went out and did his bidding. Yeah. You know, and I think the same could be said for Hitler, Hitler and Goring and Himmler and all the, all the rest of them. They were architects, and they knew what they were doing, and they manipulated the people below them to become zealots. They were useful idiots that would believe in what they were but doing. But I'm saying on some level, like, they would have lacked the – I hate to use this word, but, like, conviction? courage. How about courage, conviction? But, like, the, the, the fortitude to do the terrible things they're being asked to do. Who? You the know? underlings? The underlings that – no, no, I'm saying – Hitler, Hitler would have Himmler? lacked the intestinal fortitude to actually murder a human oh, being see, face to face. You You're know, probably right. Responsible for the deaths of millions no, of people. Well, How that, many people that, did Hitler? Well, Hitler well, probably killed some people well, in World War I. That's what I'm saying is they're, they're cowards. Right. You know, they're exactly. cowards. They're, they're the not, guy, they're not the guy, zealots. A zealot believes so much that they'll do anything But I think for the, the captain – I don't know. It's interesting because I think I mean, the, the main character, the main character, Montag, I think is probably – I think is almost like he was the useful idiot. But for some At reason, first. he had the capacity in him to be persuaded. Yeah. Now, why was that? Well, he just started. Why was he, he reachable? His, his eyes were open. He was yeah, like, his eyes he was were like open. St. Paul is probably you know, by a pretty girl. Off, you know? Probably if there wasn't a pretty girl saying things. 16 year old. And then here we go. Here we go. We go. It comes full circle because he's talking about how stupid everybody is by being persuaded by the beautiful person in the debate. Yes, yes. But the reason he turns around and starts looking at the society is because a pretty girl told him to. 
Well, she rubbed a dandelion in hers. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So she persuaded him with these base methods of persuading people. He didn't go into some debate. Well, no. I mean, she she got him to start questioning things. But she wouldn't have if she'd been an ugly, sweaty, you know, creepy looking person (laughs) like the other guy in the debate. Well, I mean, she was a girl girl in the white in the white nightgown that was dancing around at night, which is just weird, right? To attract anybody's attention, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think, you know, it's a good book. I think people should read it. Oh, this has come down to me. Oh, oh uh, shock, shocking thing, huh? Or a surprising thing. Yeah, go ahead. You go first because I... I guess I guess just generally speaking, and this is a lame surprise, but generally speaking, uh, how prescient it is. I think I got to go with the same thing. You know, how you picked this. I don't know what made you pick this, but I, I, I read it not knowing what the heck it was. Yeah, me too. And then by the end of it, I was like... Everybody needs to read this I now. I think so, yeah. Like everybody needs to read this yeah. and say, you know, and understand this is where we're at. You mm-hmm. know, we could be going that way, you know, very quickly and very easily. That that was that was a huge surprise and it's it's a, a bit unnerving. Yeah, I mean, I'm here's another here's another one, Clockwork Orange. Very yeah. similar, you know, right? with the youth violence and stuff like that. I think you could almost like create a world where all of these dystopias go together into one shared right. universe. It could be like, you know, Alex is out there doing the events of Clockwork Orange in the background of this guy's lifetime, yeah. which is the world of 1984. Right. You know, I mean, it could just fit it all together, you know, which there turns are, into after the war, which turns into do androids dream of electric well, sheep. I mean, it would be very he had, easy. You had Akira with the bomb and everything else. I mean, yeah, that's there's right. so many, like this right. dystopia has a lot in common. You know, mm-hmm. The dystopian narrative has a lot in common, especially because so. these are all fairly close in time. We're talking about a period of twenty years between yeah. all three of the books, right? So, yeah. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot in common. A lot of the same things people were worried about. I can't do any better than what you're saying. Yeah. In terms of my biggest surprise, I would say, yeah, pretty much the same thing. Just how much stuff he nailed, but they always get some stuff right mm-hmm. in terms of they get some technological stuff right, and they get some political philosophy stuff right, but they always. The, the, the social stuff that they're always wrong about, the changes in how people live their lives. Mildred is obviously a 1940s wife, like a 1940s housewife who just mm-hmm. sits there and watches TV and talks to her friends. She's not a person of the 1990s. Yeah. Women have not changed in this world. Yeah, Women are exactly the same as they were in the 40s and 50s, yeah. and these guys could never see those things changing. That's a good point. <clears throat> yeah, well, Even so when you watch Star Trek. So, social you know. situations, you're right. Although I think she represents, she and her friends, though, they they have to be used that way to represent a very vapid, right? You know, right. Uh, shallow, right? Mind numbed, yeah. Kind of populace. I think so. You know? Yeah. And and Clarice is so you have two women essentially, well, girls, true, women, yeah. women, and they're polar opposites, and yeah, they re- represent the the two sides of I guess Montag. Really, you know, one side is the side that he used to be on. You know, right. at the beginning of the book when he was laughing as he was burning books. Mm-hmm. And then the side that that he aspires to, or that he becomes, oh, that, that, you know, that opening line that it is a pleasure to burn. Yeah, like it's so funny because it's so true. I yeah. used to love putting things into the campfire and like watching the sticks right. burn. And but like you can just see him because he's like, you know, yeah. he's just smiling from ear to ear. Right. You know, he's got right. soot all over him. He smells like kerosene and he mm-hmm. loves it. He loves every bit of it. Yeah, you know. And then yeah. he meets Clarice and just. You know. I guess that's what I was saying about the uh, the guys that actually worked at the concentration camp. Yeah. Probably not a genius. Probably not somebody who's particularly zealous about the cause, but might just enjoy yeah. their version of burning, which is killing people. Which there are people out there like yeah. that. Yeah, I guess. I guess there's not there many are. people like that, but there are people. I guess like there that are, in but this I can't. World. Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's guys like John Wayne Gacy needed a job in the in the 19 during yeah. World War II. He would have been happy to work at a concentration right. camp. Right. You know? I just see. I just. I guess I like to believe that they're just useful idiots. They're zealots yeah. who 
they can convince to d- go do stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, based on, like I said, the, the Mao, you know that, you know, for the Maoists and the Commissars, as, as we talked about when in our very first episode that you all should download mm-hmm. and, and listen to. Mm. You times. know what? The audio <laughs> quality is so bad. I really wish people but, uh, would listen to our later stuff. But, uh, um, I'm going to fix that one. I'm going to do like a George, George Lucas uh, special edition. Very cool. I have some... Like extra, extra Imperial walkers yeah. wandering by in the background. <laughs> Digitized Jabba the Hutt talking yeah. to Han Solo. Very yeah. cool. Exactly. All right. Well, so are we at the time? We are at the, the time. time come? Is the time? It, it is the time my. Die? It is my. You know, I am going to toast this classic wholeheartedly. Oh, okay. We're not going to discuss it. We're just going to just uh, okay. Well, no. I mean, I, I think we're. I, I would not toast Ray Bradbury's writing. I won't toast his writing. His I would writing toast st- his ideas. His writing style. His I will writing not to- style. To- toast his writing style. Difficult to get through. You got. You really have to dig through this. I mean, it might it might appeal to some people. It doesn't appeal to me. It's these um, science fiction guys from the fifties, like Robert Heinlein. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, I like his work yeah. in some ways, but like, man, the the. I like to see a little bit wooden prose. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. like and the and yeah. the. He's, like, be- he's beating hiding, you over the head. He would never these call ancient attitudes. He would never call you know? the sun the sun. He'd call it. Like the, the flaming orb, the flaming orb, yeah, you know yeah. that the flaming orb plopped in the middle of the sky Ugh, like a, plop. you know, Ugh. like like a like a bobber hanging, you know, in a lake, <laughs> off the, you know, and then he would just go on and yes, on, and then he talked yeah, about the child holding the fishing rod with the bobber, and it's just, shut up, just yeah. just talk about okay, yeah. the sun rose, okay, right, let's stop there. Sun and, also rises, right, <laughs> unless it's really important, unless it's used to make a point, and that that's I guess what got to me, every little freaking thing was a simile or a metaphor or an yeah. analogy yeah. or colorful prose or of some type. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like there, you know, if you use it sparingly, you can use it for, you know, for, to magnify things, right. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe interactions between people or a feeling or something, but when you use it all the time, it gets old. Oh my God. Yeah. It gets tiresome. Yes. Definitely. Burdensome. But Anyway, as that aside, not to, not toasting his writing, but as a book. That aside, I think the book. I think what we're we're finding out is um, things like freedom of expression. I'm not going to say speech, but I'll say expression. Okay. Are fragile, is fragile. Like modern dance is very important to you. You're saying freedom of expression. I mean, we talked about freedom of speech, right? right. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Right. You can't say shoot that person holding the gun. Oh. However, however, freedom of mean. expression in right. in meaning that. You know, Clarice like was words coming out of your mouth are not actually special. It's actually expressing your thoughts. That's, yeah, that's special. it's, it's right, the freedom to it. it's the freedom to read things, right, and to express difference, right, sure. which was valued in the '60s and '70s, right, and you had both sides at some point tamped down. You know, Bradbury's writing at a time when it was the it I, was the right. I think that, that the value that. of freedom of expression is still deeply and widely held. I think that people, when they're trying to, you know, as you always say, like cancel culture, I think when people are trying to cancel certain things, I don't think they're trying to do the best thing. They really do load the things that are being said and what's being canceled, but they don't realize, like we said last yeah. time, that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I, 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 if you yeah, cancel what this yeah. guy's saying, what do you say to the guy who comes and tries to cancel yeah. what yeah. you're saying? That's exactly you know? right. Yeah. If yeah, pe- I, people say that, people say that yeah. the Bill of Rights. And the freedoms that we have in the United States are just tools of the elites to sort of, you know, control things. And, and I was thinking the other day, I was thinking like, well, how would the civil rights movement have ever spoken if they weren't allowed, if, 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 they if weren't the allowed, powers yeah. that be could just say, no, you can't say things. Mm-hmm. 
right. there wouldn't have been a civil rights movement. Right. They would have literally just been, to sh- been able to shut them down. Huh. It was only those constitutional rights that at the end of the day, everybody in America could agree, no, you may not like what Malcolm X is saying, yeah. but he's allowed to he's say, allowed it. To say this it. is America. Right. You know, there were people that said he should be shut up, yeah. but 90% of Americans, I think, agree and still agree yeah. that that's a sacred right. And it's not just sacred like because it's a religious thing, but because it makes a democracy function. You can't function. You can't have the give and take we need and the debate we need without that freedom to speak. Yeah. And you can't start shutting certain people down. You can't just be like, oh, this person's so reprehensible that they can't say this thing. I mean, there's probably exceptions or, or, to that. Like, like if like, someone's a pedophile or something, you know. <laughs> right, but I mean, right. yeah. those are pretty extreme examples of yeah. criminal behavior. I mean, even then, you got Stanley Kubrick's next film after Spartacus was Lolita. Yeah. It's pretty right. easy to shut that down on a yeah. lot of grounds, right? I, Which we never we didn't mention. By we the way. we didn't mention it. Yeah. And I was looking at his filmography when we talked about it. I couldn't believe he made that movie yeah. in 1962. Well, yeah. Like yeah. W- anyway, but that's what he does. He you know. he pushed envelopes. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, but you know, I'm glad people are pushing envelopes. Anyway, so yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, yeah, I'm toasting. I got no problem lifting my glass. I think this is something people should read. Uh, I don't know if they should read it as like a brilliant work of literature in terms of the writing. Yeah. But if you're in a class that wants to provoke thought and discussion, I think this is a pretty good one. I think so, too. I think this should be I read. So so. I don't know if it should be in a government class or a literature class or what, but something. People should I don't read think any creative writing, writing teachers should teach this book. But I think, no. yeah. I think civics, no. perhaps, sociology, English, right. literature. Right. Yeah. Right. Kind of like uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin <laughs> is like an yeah. – well, actually, there's not much to talk about in that one yeah. these days. It's not like we're going to have an argument about slavery. Right. But like the quality of the book and the prose is pretty limited. Right. But it just had such an impact yeah. that it's a classic, I think. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. All right. Glasses up. Glasses up. We're toasting. We are toasting this classic. Cheers. Well, thank you so much for joining us um, on this episode of Toasting the Classics. Uh, yep. We just talked about Fahrenheit. 451. 451. Uh, on our next episode, what are we doing on our next episode? Our next episode. So this was book. This next book. episode is a film. I believe you had the choice. Oh, you I told did. me what it was. Oh, we're going. Shall, shall right. I? I'm gonna, I'm gonna I give hate you, I'm, this movie. I'm going to give you a hint. I hate this movie so much. Ready? And I just I can't stand dun, dun, this film. Dun, dun, like I just I haven't seen it. I saw it like once a long time ago. I know. And I, I just know. It probably can't stand ruined it. your childhood, I'm yeah. sure. It's called but, Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark. I don't even know why it's called Lost that. Art, Guys like art, a, art, art, Raiders, Raiders of the Lost, Lost Art, Art, Art. Yeah. art. Anyway, um, uh, and uh, well, that, that'll be my, uh, my pick, and uh, I'll come up with something. Just so you'll know, by the way, Dave has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine little things that he had to bring in for his elaborate. And that I now have to carry his, home. Yeah. For his elaborate. Independent like, did you ride your bike? Objects. No, I didn't okay, ride my good. bike. Thank God. That would have been too <laughs> so, much. But I'll come up with something a little bit simple. Actually, I know exactly what I'm going to come up with now that I think about it. Okay. So thank you for joining us for Toasting the Classics. I'm Clint Lanier. Dave MacArthur. And we'll talk to you next time on Toasting the Classics. Peace out. Bye. That's it for episode 24 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, You'll need some cheap whiskey. Nothing specific yet, but the type you wouldn't feel bad smashing over the head of a Nepalese thug who had you pinned to a bar. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know which books you'd like to have burned. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at at ReactiveNuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. (laughs) 